Welcome. You're at the Suicide Prevention Show. I'm Jackie Simmons. I'm the host of the show, and we are all about making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. I am super happy that you are here, and you are going to be super happy too. I am going to introduce you to one of an interview with, and she's going to share a bunch of wisdom about things I don't know a lot about. This is my friend Kelly, and Kelly is going to be talking with us about using your story in a book. Your story. It is the story that we tell ourselves about our story, about our life, that determines whether we are facing in a direction of making a difference or facing in a direction of feeling like life is out of control. So it's not just one story, it's the story about the story, and we're gonna get into story right now with Kelly. Kelly, please come on camera. Where are you, Kelly? Um, let's Hi. see. Oh. I hear you. Hello. I see you. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you? I am great, I'm so excited to be here, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And, and thank you, Kelly, for being willing to take the time out of your schedule to come and have a conversation because that's what we're all about. We're all about having conversations that matter. And I love what you've been up to. So let's just start with the fact that your name is really going to funky on the screen. So I'm going to have Katie make sure that your full name is showing up um, because I want people to know who you are. So while Katie's taking care of that, we're going to have a conversation. So Kelly, tell me, you know, if, all right, if we were having a private conversation, I'd be asking you, tell me what's the latest and greatest in your world. So let's <laughs> just start with that, okay? We're just gonna let everybody else eavesdrop and we're gonna have a chat. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I love chatting with you, Jackie, and I know you always pull out those golden nuggets out of me, so feel free, ask away. <laughs> so, what's your latest and greatest, Kelly? Oh, my latest and greatest, well, today is that um, I was at a, a Blue Talks event, and so it was a live event. We had like six speakers at it, and uh, so I did that this morning and then rushed home so that I could be, you know, present with you and your group. And then uh, tomorrow I'm actually speaking on stage and I haven't spoken on stage in probably eight or nine months. And so I'm really, really, really missing it. And so I'm really excited about, you know, getting up on stage and sharing my story. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So for people who don't know you, what's the Cliff Notes version of your story, Kelly? Well, the Cliff Notes version of my story is that I got burnt when I was two years old, the 75% of my body. So my whole body is pretty much covered in scars. So when I grew up, I, I hated myself. I hated what I looked like. I hated that I was the ugly Scarface girl. And I knew that I was because when I walked past my teacher's desk, someone had drawn a picture of me and it was a circle with, with eyes and nose and mouth on and scribbled all over it and it said Scarface. And of course, there's wow. nobody else in my class that had scars on their face, right? So I knew it was me. <laughs> Go ahead, did you wanna say something? I just said, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. How old were you when you saw that picture? I was in grade five. So I would have been about 11, yeah, 11 years old when that happened. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't want to, 
how do I put it? I, I didn't really want to get through life. I, I was tired of being stared at. I was tired of being teased. I was tired of being bullied. I was tired of being shunned. I was tired of being rejected. Everything that anybody could do to me, they were doing it to me. And the good thing was that I was half deaf, so I wasn't hearing a lot of it. But the point was, I still knew that every second year when I went for surgeries, my scars were still there. And my scars would never disappear. Every second year? Every second year till I was 20 years old, I'd have to go back to the hospital for more surgery. And I remember when I was 16, and I remember going to bed one night, and I was praying to God. And I said, dear God, please don't make me wake up in the morning. But if I have to, can I at least be scarless so I can be pretty like all the other girls? Thank you. Amen. And of course, I woke up. Of course, I looked in the mirror. And of course, I still saw my ugly scars. And I knew because my doctor had been trying to take my scars away, God couldn't take my scars away. I knew I would be the ugly girl forever. So I did end up uh, eventually finally getting married. I did end up, um, you know, having three beautiful kids and then I've been through a divorce. Uh, and actually yesterday would be the 19th birthday of my baby that I lost. Mm. She was uh, I, I was seven months pregnant. And um, I remember when I was five months pregnant, I remember looking down at my belly and saying, it's okay if you don't make it because he doesn't want you. My husband at the time didn't want another child. And sure enough, two months later, I lost her. And of course, that was horrendous for me. It was probably worse than me getting burnt as a two-year-old because I blamed myself that I lost her. And I still remember my daughter, she was like two years old at the time, pulling me out of bed. Mommy, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Because I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I'd lost my baby and it was my fault as far as I was concerned. And so yesterday she would have been 19 years old. And the beautiful lesson in all of this is that I ended up getting pregnant two years later with twin boys. And <laughs> if I would have had her, we would have had just the two girls. We wouldn't have had the boys. And so that is uh, one of the ways I'm able to see the gift in that horrible tragedy is that, you know, we had these beautiful twin boys. So she's up in heaven with, you know, my dad and my grandparents and she's, you know, doing all kinds of fun stuff. And I've got these boys and my daughter here on earth. And so I consider it a gift. You know, our whatever it takes when we are handed with something so horrific, you know, whatever it takes, um, this conversation is so very precious, Kelly, because I just want everyone to know you can't do it wrong. Whatever it takes for you to get through the losses in your life and the challenges in your life, that, that however you make it is how you make it. And the story that we tell ourselves about we, we did it wrong, stops us from ever being able to effectively share our story with the world. Absolutely. And a lot of times too, we instantly see death as a tragedy, or we instantly see that me getting burnt as a two-year-old and almost dying multiple times, that that is a tragedy. But when you see that that two-year-old has grown up 
and she's speaking all over the world. She's written six books. She's become a multiple TEDx talker, six-time best-selling author, the Fierce Woman of the Year Award, a medal from the Queen. Do you really think that her getting burnt as a two-year-old is a tragedy? It's an interesting way to embrace our stories, Kelly. And so the third person explanation, yeah, the ability to say, do you really think that it was a tragedy? And helping people see that it's not them talking to you with that judgment. It's just getting them to question the judgment, the automatic knee-jerk labeling things as good or bad, you know, labeling them as right or wrong. And the ability to shift from that is, is what makes one of the things that for me makes your presence in the world such a great gift because, because of your ability to, and whether you, they call it reframing, which is the modern day way of saying controlling your own attitude, deciding what something means. Your ability to own that you are the one who gets to decide what things mean in your life. That's I a love great that. story. I love that. And it's so true because some people would say to me, uh, you see your baby dying as a gift? And I say, absolutely, she's in heaven with my dad. You know, my dad always wanted a granddaughter and you know, he didn't get to spend as much time with my daughter because we lived across the country from each other. But now he's got this little granddaughter in heaven. And I have these two beautiful boys that I never would have had if we would have had her. And so to me, why not see it as a gift? Why not bring goodness to my life and to the feeling that I had when I lost her? You know, this is really interesting. Um, somebody, I don't remember who, and I apologize to whoever deserves this attribute, said that when people look at the glass as half full, meaning they are an optimist, or half empty, meaning they're a pessimist, they miss the point. The glass is refillable. I know, I love that. Love and it. So that's what you've done is you, you've just accepted the fact that life continues to happen and your perspective is how you embrace it or whether or not you embrace it. And so we're gonna talk about embracing story because that's where I promised that we would take people. We're gonna talk about embracing story. What does someone have to believe about themselves, Kelly, before they're willing to put pen to paper and write their story for the world? Well, one of the first things they need to believe is that they can do it. And so a lot of times people come to me and they say to me, I don't know how to start. And the biggest reason they don't know how to start is because they think they have to start with that painful path story that they have. And a lot of times what happens is people are too scared to share that story because they think they're going to hurt somebody's feelings. So a lot of times they don't even want to start because they're so worried about that painful past story that is going to hurt somebody or hurt themselves. And they think that that's the only story they need to tell. And, you know, my, my husband or my ex-husband now, I mean, he hit me like a few different times and I didn't put that in the book. And the reason I didn't put it in my books is because 
I don't necessarily want everybody to know that right now. Okay. I also didn't want my kids to find out in a book. I, I also didn't know what the consequences would be if he read about it. And so there was, there was reasons that I didn't put that story in the book, but I had a multitude of other stories that are just as impactful that are going to help people. And so I, I believe that one of the reasons that people stop themselves is one, they don't know why or why, what they want to write. But second is they think their story isn't good enough. Okay, they, so we've got a lot of things right there. You got a lot of stinky BS, a lot of belief systems. Oh my goodness, that was no. a lot. So one is what if my story is not just my story and somebody could choose, somebody could react and we'll just call it, they could react. Whether yeah. it's feelings are hurt, whether they're embarrassed, whether they get angry, whatever. It could have, it could constrict other people. And so we were not sure that that's the right story to tell. And if I don't tell my most painful story, why would anybody want to read my story? Right. So my story's not good enough. I had stories, I have a name for this. I call this story shame. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I had story shame. And, and, and so the fact that that's a thing, it really is. I wouldn't tell my story. I, would, um, I got blessed in being, having a mentor who helped me work through that. Right. The stories that we read over and over and over again are not about the people who had extraordinary moments necessarily. They're about the people whose stories are just similar enough to ours that we can see ourselves in them. Right. And you know, there's, so there's these commonalities. So you can get over story shame by looking for what are the things about my life that other people are gonna recognize in their life. That's and so while most of us cannot relate to being burned over 75% of our body, what a lot of us, or what I can relate to, Kelly, is being 11 years old and finding the, that I've been labeled. Absolutely. I've been labeled as ugly. Yep. And that is like the worst nightmare of any girl in the you know, 11 to 13 year old range. Totally. Yeah. So that's a point that we can all relate to. And I think that helping people understand that they all, we all have story points that are universal. Absolutely. And, you know, usually that's one of every little girl's dream is to be the little princess, you know, to be the beautiful princess. You know, we're taught that right from day one when we watch Snow White. Yeah. Okay. And we watch Snow White and the evil queen talks to the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most beautiful of them all. And so you have three, four, five-year-old little girls that are reading or watching this. And then they go look in the mirror. Am I beautiful? And then the mirror talks back to them and says, no, you're not. And that was my story. No, you're not. You're not beautiful. You don't see beautiful girls with scars on their faces. They're not beautiful. They're ugly. So what stopped you? No, I'm just going to say this. Okay, so Kelly, when did you take control of the mirror? I took control of the mirror one day when 
my ex-husband and I went to a garage sale and this, this, I was in my forties actually. So I was actually quite old to be doing this, but we went to a garage sale and this lady says to me, they couldn't do better than that. And I was like, Oh, and what she meant was why couldn't they do some magic surgery on you and take your scars away and then you'd be beautiful. But what she didn't know is that I probably have 40 or 50 surgeries. I was, my whole life was consumed with surgeries and trying to feel beautiful. And I looked at her and I was so upset. I was like, I, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. And a lot of times it doesn't bother me. And sometimes it does. That day it really bothered me. And I happened to say to her, you know what? I happen to think I look pretty damn good. And I turned around and I walked away. And then I thought to myself, eventually, I thought, why am I letting a complete stranger take my power away? I am never going to see that woman ever again. And I thought, why? Why would I let some stranger take my power away and make me feel ugly? Not once have my kids or my family or my friends ever said to me, Cal or mom, I would love you more if you were scarless not once and yet i'm we are as women and men too are willing to let strangers look Other at people. us one time mm -hmm. and say you are ugly and so i went into the mirror that night and i was really upset and i said that's it i'm giving myself permission to love who i am now when typically when i would look in the mirror i would say yuck who's gonna love that and you know when you hear people say all you have to do is say how beautiful you are and eventually you'll believe it. Well, that was bullshit because I'm serious because it didn't matter how many times I looked in the mirror and said how beautiful I was. I didn't believe it because that little voice in my head or the mirror that we learned. You had a definition of beauty that was exactly. not going to fit. Absolutely. You look in the media. Do you ever see any scarred up women in the media called beautiful? So the cultural definition of beauty is a not me for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. You, you did something, Kelly, and we're just going to pause right here and let you take us there to that night. You're very upset. You go into the mirror and what happened? So instead of going into the mirror and saying, I am beautiful, I went into the mirror and said, I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And that voice didn't say anything because I believe it. And then I looked at my nose and I said, you know what? I happen to love my cute little nose. <laughs> and again, I didn't hear that voice, right? And then I looked at my ear and it's a, you know, it's a deformed little ear and it doesn't look that pretty. And I said, you know what? I happen to love my cute little ear. It makes me special, it makes me different, and it makes me unique. And then I looked in the mirror one more time, and this time I turned around, I was wearing my favorite jeans, and I looked at my bum and I said, I love my cute little hot ass. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the thing was, not once did that negative voice say anything to me because I believe it. And that's the problem when we go in the mirror and we go and say how beautiful we are. The mirror says, no, you're not. You're full of wrinkles. You got gray hair. You know, you, you aren't beautiful. 
And so when I changed the question, that was what I did as I changed the question. And I said, you know, picked out all the things I love about me. That's when I didn't hear that negative voice anymore. And that was when I learned to truly embrace who I am and, and what I look like. And I started to actually um, accept that people thought I was beautiful and not ugly. Yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift, Kelly, that you share that story. You know, the ability to rewrite what constitutes beauty. What con and it wasn't even beauty. You shifted from beauty to lovable. Right. And yeah. that's the more powerful question. What are the things about me that I love? Exactly. That's a exactly. real powerful place. And, and, the, and the thing is too, what happens, and I, I think you've talked about it earlier, is that people compare themselves to other people. And so I would always compare myself to somebody who is more beautiful than me and say, well, I can't be that person. I can't be beautiful because I don't look, I don't look beautiful like Angelina Jolie. We, I can't be beautiful, but I can be my own version of beautiful. Well, you hit upon what I think is the scourge of the age. And it's that C word, comparison. When comparison. we compare ourselves, we only do it when we're going to end up on the short end of the stick. And I don't know if that's particularly a female pattern. You know, guys, I think, are more likely to compare themselves to people and say, yeah, I'm better than that. I'm stronger than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, women, on the other hand, are on the other side of that, you know, spectrum and tend more towards finding things that reinforce the negative belief, the constricting Absolutely. belief, as opposed to the expanding one. So, and you know, in, I was the human resources consultant. And what we found in human resources is that a male candidate and a female candidate respond yeah. very, very differently to the same situation. Okay. Here's, here's a job description. You fit about 60 to 70% of the requirements of the job. Right. A male candidate who wants that job will put in his resume and put a cover sheet on it that argues why he's the right person for the job. <laughs> a female candidate who wants that job will look at that list and decide she's not good enough to even apply. Oh my God. She won't apply unless she's got all of the qualifications. That's right. She has a right. much, she won't argue why she's the right person for the job because the decision is if I'm not perfect, I'm not right. Right, exactly. And, and so it's just a, this is one of those very generalized gender things. And yeah, there's some crossover. There are women who are more assertive and there are men who are less assertive, you know, but the reality is that there's a gender divide here that was very, very clear in that industry. So- Well, and the other thing, the other thing that women do too is they typically go to body shaming. So if there's ever anything wrong, and this is what Brene Brown says, is that if, if a woman is feeling insecure, she instantly goes to shame her body. Mm -hmm. And that's a culturally induced, yeah, I mean, right, right down to Barbie dolls. It, it's, a, it's a cultural manifestation. 
So the reality, we're not going to change our culture. Where you know, when uh, seven of nine, when uh, I forget, Ilea, um, in the first Star Trek movie, here is this drop dead gorgeous person, totally bald. You know, I mean, this was one of the first times that the stereotypical definition started getting challenged in a major blockbuster film. But the trend didn't last. And we've gone and fallen back into the more traditional, and they're not even traditional, they were actually, um, I, got, I got something funny. Are you ready for this? I'm ready, you bet. Here we go. When the first advertisements they finally have a printing press. They have this way to reproduce drawings and pictures, okay? And so stores wanted to advertise ladies' clothing. And so they got their most beautiful in the beauty of the day. And if anyone understands the word Rubenesque, the beauty of the day were these full-bodied women. And they realized that the people were staring so much at the women, they weren't noticing the clothing in the ads. So they got the skinniest women they could find to be the model so that people wouldn't look at the women, but would notice the clothing. And that is how this concept of thin equals beauty came about. It was an accidental unintended consequence of the dressmakers industry advertising. And this was back a couple of hundred years ago. And we have been stuck with that stereotype. But if you go back to the artwork from prior to the printing press, you'll see a very different definition of beauty. Absolutely. And, you know, look at how um, I remember seeing a video and they had all these women of different cultures, different mm -hmm. countries, and what their idea of a beautiful makeup was. And it was like crazy how, because everybody had a different perception of what a beautifully made up woman was. Mm -hmm. Nobody can decide on one woman as being the most beautiful. Yeah, because it's all very culturally driven. And yes. so understanding that it's the story of the culture. And now let's get back into the story that we tell ourselves that our story is not ready for a book or let, I'm going to, I'm going to give full disclosure. The only reason I wrote a book is because I didn't think I had enough credibility to sell a program. Mm -hmm. And so I put my program into a book, got it published very, very fast. And then when I got my first big stage, I could stand on the stage as an author with my book. Yep. And, and that the, the course was based on this book because I wrote the book. That needing of credibility dogged me. And it was because I wasn't willing to tell my story. I didn't think that my story had any value. And I think that that's what stops most people from succeeding in so many areas of their lives. It wasn't until I could tell my story, all of my story, right. that I actually found business to be very easy because I don't have anything to prove anymore. Well, you know, and people love vulnerability. Who knew? 
they really do like when you put a book out there and you're vulnerable people love that because it makes you look like you're relatable to them you know a lot of times when you see someone like oprah you, you think i'll never get to meet oprah or i'll never understand her life because of you know, comparison we're comparing where we are to where she is now exactly. Yeah. yeah, she's a billionaire making like massive, massive impact in the world that a lot of us can't even fathom our lives getting to that point. But they relate to Jackie Simmons in Kelly, Florida, mm -hmm. because we seem more relatable and our stories seem more real because we're not that high up on a pedestal like Oprah is. Yeah, and it's really interesting because her book, um, her book, um, and uh, the name went out of my head, Lisa Nichols. Lisa Nichols' book. I mean, you know, they tell their stories. And it made it possible for me to feel a little safer telling mine. And it was actually Lisa Nichols' story that when somebody, I got called out, I'm really, you know, like sometimes willing to be a little vulnerable. So I went to a microphone at an event. Yep. And the speaker uh, was uh, Fly Girl. I don't know if you know her, but um, she was the first African-American female fighter pilot in our military of our oh, time. And she was talking about, you know, she told her story and then she was talking about how, you know, as speakers and this kind of thing. And I'm like, I took the mic and I went, well, I appreciate everything you're saying, but I'm not. You know, I didn't climb Mount Everest. I'm not an Olympic athlete. These were all the keynoters of the day. Had right. something about them that was unique. Right. And Fly Girl said, do you know Lisa Nichols? And I'm like, well, yeah. She says, do you know her story? And I'm like, well, I think so. And she says, do you know her whole story is about being a single mom? And I went, I'm a single mom. Uh, I was raised by a single mom. Would anybody care? Yeah. You know, and, and it made me start to question. Yeah. So if, if you're going to go looking at the sheroes and the, the movie stars and the, the really icons of our age, look at them through the eyes of the question, where am I similar? You know, where am I similar? What is the, what are the commonalities? Because if you can find a commonality with them, then all of a sudden you stop worshiping them and you start realizing you are them. I always tell people too, why don't you compare yourself to where you were 10 years ago? So now when I look at my life 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I was in a toxic marriage. Okay, I was being disrespectful. My ex was, we were both cheating, we were both lying. I was um, hating myself. I hated my life. I was lying to myself. I was in a dead end job. I had a business that was bankrupting us. Uh, my ex lost his job and he told me to step up to the plate and get a job. And the twins were only like three or four years old. I was in a loveless marriage. I hated being married. So when I looked in the mirror, I was lying to myself. And the two biggest lies I was telling myself was that I loved being married and that I loved my job. And I hated both. And I did. And then I met Tremaine Hammond, who said to me, Kel, you need to sell that business you have 
and you need to be a speaker. And I said, what? I'm a burn survivor. So what? And she goes, no. She said, people will be so inspired by your story. And I went home to my husband at the time. And I said, well, I'm going to be a speaker. And he said, who's going to listen to you? And how are you going to do that? And I said, I don't know, but it's going to happen. And so sure enough, the ball started happening. And I said to the universe, okay, help me, help me be a speaker. Show me the way. I don't know. Like I'm thinking Anthony Robbins, Oprah, Lisa Nichols, all these big wigs. Like I, I don't have that kind of story. I'm that power. I don't have that personality. I can't get on stage like them. But then I ended up taking a workshop to teach people how to be keynote uh, speakers. And all of a sudden the ball started rolling. And then I wrote my book. My coach told me to write a book. You need to be an author so that when people ask you to speak for free, you got a product to sell. When people want to know more about your story, then you got your book to sell them. And then that led to, you know, me be doing my next book, which became a best-selling book. And, you know, and then that led to more other stuff. And then I got to go to Africa. And then I had a crash. And I had a major crash. And this was probably seven or eight years ago. And I remember being at the end of my bed with my iPad. And I was Googling how to end my life. And I had three non-negotiables. One was my kids couldn't be the one to find me. That was the absolute worst thing in the world because I knew then my kids would blame themselves and I did not want my kids to find me. The second one was that it had to be painless. I didn't want to feel any pain. I've done enough pain in my life. The last thing I wanted was more pain. And the third thing was it had to be final. I wanted it to be final. If no I'm gonna do this, room for error. No room for error. It's got to be final. I do not want to wake up in a hospital. Now, not only am I a burn survivor, but now I'm in a wheelchair, you know, or something even more drastic than what I already had. Right. And I couldn't find that. I couldn't find a way to end my life with all three of those non-negotiables. And then what happened is I started thinking about my kids and, you know, I, I dropped my, my son off at school one day and while we were, I was driving him, he, he said to me, he said, you know, mom, he said, my kids, my friends always complain about their moms. And I just say to them, no way. I, I can't relate to that. I'm so proud of my mom. I love her. You know, and, and I was struggling with bad mom syndrome at the time, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible, right? That my son really does love me, you know? And, and he sees that I, yeah, I'm a struggling single mom. I am, I admit it. You know, I, when you're an entrepreneur, you know what it's like, Jackie. So you don't always know when your next paycheck gonna come and you gotta work you know, the revenue roller coaster is what many entrepreneurs live until they figure out how to create a sustainable income. I get it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. And at that time, I was in that horrible roller coaster. But I tell you what, I, you know, when, when my son said that and, and then what did my, my other son, what did he do? Oh, him and I were in the car talking about something. And I said, you know, we need to raise $20,000 for something. And he said, okay, well, why don't we do this and this and this? And he's coming up with all these ideas. And I'm, and he was like 14 at the time. And I was like, 
oh my God, like I love the way your brain thinks. You know, like most people would say, well, we can't raise $20,000. And, and you're like coming up with all these ideas. And he goes, mom, you raised me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so like it was those, those moments when, you know, our kids come up with those things. And, and I got to thinking and I thought, you know what? My kids would be so upset. You know, they, they wouldn't have a mom anymore, right? And it would cause them so much pain, so much pain. And it's like, you know what? All I need to do is ask for help. That's all I really need to do. You know, I just need to reach out to someone. And, and that's what I did. I reached out. And I'll never forget this one call I had with a coach. And she would coach me for three, like, like one to two hours a day, three times a week for about three months. And she said to me, Kelly, why don't you know your value? what do you mean? I know my value. I'm a speaker. You know, I had that ego with talking and I'm a speaker. I share my story and I help people. I know my value. She goes, no. She says, I don't think you do. And I think the reason you're having a problem is because you're not making the money you want to make. And that question hit me right here. Cause it was like, oh, I, I, you know, set a goal to make a six figure income and I still wasn't doing it. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I not able to do this? Right. And then she said, when are you going to get it that your value is not in the money you make or don't make? Your value is in the acts of service you provide. And she made me write a list of all the things I had done. And I read the list back and I said, oh my gosh, who is this chick? I've got to know her. Right? <laughs> all right. That's a great exercise. A list of all the things you've done. Exactly. Exactly. And that was when I realized that it didn't matter that I wasn't a millionaire like the rest of my siblings were. I was the only one of my siblings who isn't a millionaire. It's okay because my book is over in Africa teaching kids how to have great self-esteem. And how many people can say that? Right? And that was when I realized what my true value was. It's not about money. It's all about what I'm doing to make an impact and make a difference in the world. So. Awesome. That's a wonderful, wonderful story. All right. So we are going to be coming around the curve here and I want to bring it up with this concept of you change the story that you told yourself. And that's the whole point. The whole point in having a mentor or a coach or a trusted advisor in your world is someone to help you change your story when your story is not serving the world. Absolutely. When someone wants, oh, we've got a gift. You've got an amazing gift. I'm just going to um, pop, pop that in here right now, or Katie will. Um, the first gift is the one from, from me, which is that Katie put it into the chat box, and that's the 800 number for the National Suicide Hotline. So if you're in North America, this is your number. Otherwise, look it up. Because what Kelly realized is the one thing that I want everyone to hear all you have to do is reach out for help. Exactly. All you have to do. So we made it easy. And then Kelly's going to give you some help. If you want to go into this place of how do I have a book? There's a blueprint. Oh my God. So blueprint on, on how to publish your book. It's the blueprint. And boy, there's a lot of information in here. And Kelly, shame on you. That's our job for posting information. 
All right. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what I was reading before. Yeah. But so that's not what uh, I have either. Yeah. I have I to see so Kelly went else. around and did an in run on us. <laughs> All right. So it happens in live shows. So you roll with it. So yep. Kelly, thank you very much. All of these links are in the show notes for everyone. And if you're on here live, just realize that the offer that Kelly made to connect is one that is very heartfelt and your story matters. And that's really, Kelly, one of the gifts of the conversation with you. The ability to accept that who we are, you know, your acceptance of yourself, I'm a burn survivor. Yeah, my acceptance of myself as the mother of a teen suicide attempt survivor you know, there's no shame, no blame, no good, no bad. There's just a fact. And the facts are just the facts. And we all have facts. Where we have choice is the meaning we assign. And if you decide to assign a meaning to everyone listening, if you decide like Kelly, to assign a meaning to your story that maybe it could make a difference, then use her blueprint and start the process and persevere with it, you know? And it doesn't have to take a lot of time. So there, there's, that's my take on the world because my first book took a very short period of time. It was a hot mess. It was not a pretty book, uh, but I, I, you, can, you can fix that in this day Absolutely. and age. Absolutely, you can do that again, you bet. You know, so I did that. So now I have a book that I'm proud of and I still don't talk about it much. And I realized today, listening to you, why? Why I don't talk about it. That first book was about what I did. It's a workbook for a program, for a seven-week program. It's not my story. And so I just want to encourage people, if you're going to write a book, write a storybook. Write your story. It doesn't have to be the deepest, darkest, dankest moments in your life. It doesn't have to be your shouldville story when you're living in this place of I should have done something else or life should be different than it is. But let it be your story of I was here, this journey happened, you know, and now I'm over here. Those are the stories we want to read. Those are the stories that inspire other people. And Kelly, your willingness to share your story is just amazing. So thank, oh, thank you. Yeah. My, my, uh, my last book is called Still Beautiful. And that is actually the documentary of my life story. And so half of it is the documentary. And they even recreated me getting burnt as a two-year-old and going to the hospital and, and all that. Wow. And, and yeah, and then growing up and married, divorced and becoming a speaker and, and really... The, the three lessons that I give people. And then the other half of it is actually stories of 22 other authors who wanted to share their experience of being ugly and learning how to feel still beautiful. So now and, you gotta tell us the three lessons. You've opened that loop. Now we gotta close it. <laughs> All right, come on, lay them on us. You got three minutes. Okay. Well, the three lessons, one of them is about comparing yourself. So quit comparing yourself to others. We talked a lot about that today. The second one is to quit worrying about what everybody's thinking of you. And the third one is to live your passion 
and follow your truth. And when you do that, I promise you, you will feel so beautiful. And every single person here has, everybody has a unique and incredible power inside of them. And we need to unleash that. And that is the big thing is unleash your story. And even if you don't want to tell that story, that really painful story, tell all the other stories that are going to inspire people. I love it. There we go. Look at you. You got that done in just one minute, honey. That was it. <laughs> I am very, very impressed, Kelly. All right. So there we go. Katie, Copri uh, Katie typed him up. She's amazing. Quit comparing yourself to others. Quit worrying about what others think of you. Live your passion and follow your truth. And I'll be honest, it was through writing that I found my truth. It was through being challenged to write my stories of my life. And I got a coach, I got, I got one of those coaches. And the injunction was to write every single thing I remembered or had ever been told about my life. What was going on when my mom was pregnant with me, what my early childhood was, all of the stories. And they said, expect it to take like two weeks if you go away to a cabin and maybe a couple of years if you don't. And I went, huh? <laughs> the, 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 I never wrote, it has to be in a notebook, okay? This is not typing. And, and so the reality is that I wrote some and then I would get you know, off on another thing. But when I got challenged to create talks that really matter when I got into this whole movement and I realized that I had stories. I had stories of why I wouldn't take a stage. I had stories of if anybody found out about this, you know, I'll go to jail or at, you know, at the bare minimum or if I, you know, and, and being in a safe community where I could do a video because this was all about becoming a better speaker where I could do a video and share that I had a story that I had told myself that if anybody found out about my deep, dark secrets, if anybody found out about my daughter's suicide attempts, if anybody found out about you know, all of the missteps, the things that we would not do again, that's my category. Anything in your life that you would not do again, go ahead and write it down. Go ahead and acknowledge it. It's part of your journey. You don't have to share it, but the writing of it will free you from it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to encourage agree. everyone. I absolutely agree with you. It's, um, you know, I had, a, I had a client that went through PTSD and she thought that PTSD, that was her story she needed to tell. But every time she did it, tried to tell it, it triggered more PTSD. But then when, yeah. And then when she told me about her children's books, she wanted to write all of a sudden her eyes lit up and she just glowing and she was talking fast and she was all excited. And I said, that's the book you need to write. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. And so she was so excited because now, now she was passionate about writing her story because you can write your story in a children's book. Right. And it was so exciting to her. Whereas the PTSD book, it took her to that such a painful, dark place in her life that she wasn't ready to actually write that story. So and it's 
perfectly okay. It's it perfectly okay. Where do you think our superheroes come from? Where do you think their stories come from? Those are real people's stories who weren't ready to tell it from their own perspective. You know, that's where all stories come from. And so this creative process, my suggestion is for anybody to just write it. You know, the Dear Diary work. Oh, my favorite game was to, to write like I was, you know, Dear Anne, you know, the old Anne Landers, Dear Abby. I'm dating myself again. You know, writing to your wise, intuitive, higher self, you have one even if you haven't met recently. You know, just go ahead and write a letter to your own, whatever label you want to use, your own wise, intuitive, higher self. You might be surprised at what you hear. Yeah, that's an excellent way to start. Yeah. Right? I, I had one, one of my clients, what she did is her husband was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And so every day she wrote a Facebook post about him to keep everybody updated. Mm -hmm. And so then she came to me and said, I want to write a book. And I said, great, guess what? Your book is already written. She said, what do you mean? I said, you're just going to take those Facebook posts that you did for five months and that's going to become your book. And she's like, what? It can be that easy? And I'm like, yes, it can be that easy. <laughs> and that was how we created her book. And it became a best-selling book. It was awesome. You know, you pro people don't realize, but they've probably already written more than they think. Exactly. So, Kelly, thank you again for spending the time with us today, for sharing your wisdom and your story and for offering all of the support to help other people with their stories. Cannot thank you enough. You are very welcome. And thank you for the honor of being on your show. I, I honor you. Thank you. Everybody hang around. The ride gets more interesting from here.